Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. All right, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and boy, do I have a special treat for you today. It's a friend of mine that I, I met just recently within the last uh, couple of years, but I uh, feel like I've known him forever, and um, if you saw him, you would feel like you knew him as well, but you wouldn't quite put your finger... No, you would exactly know where you know him from. Uh, it's 007 himself. Now, Mr. James Taggart, I want you to picture in your mind, if you're just listening today, to Daniel Craig and Bond, this James Taggart is a professional professional James Bond impersonator. Um, I will tell you that I people tell me that I should be Austin and Austin Powers. Gold, maybe I should be that kind of impersonator. This guy, this is a stud, good-looking guy who just impersonates James Bond all over the world. Uh, but that's not why I have him on, actually. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're both, you know, debonair gentlemen, world traveling, you know, <laughs> right? No, uh, I have James on because his life story, I think you're going to get a lot out of. You're going to be motivated by, inspired by uh, both where he started from, where he is today, and what he's had to overcome to be who he is. So, James, thank you, my friend, for being on today. Uh, Jeff, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wonderful uh introduction there and man i'm, I'm honored and uh, and privileged uh to be on your podcast so I, I i was gonna i was gonna say maybe just for this one instead of driving change sailing change but i'll, I'll get into that in a uh yeah you know in a little bit i don't want to tell the guests that yeah you know, the guests that are that are just listening in the cold frozen tundra right now in the winter time of the north oh. the northern part of the state that i'm actually talking to james from his luxury sailboat in Florida, but we will get to that later. So, so James, here's I, what I, we shouldn't always, ru- I shouldn't rub it in. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. Well, you know that you listen, you're, you're a fan of the show. So, so you know how we start this thing off. I, we, I want the guests to get an idea of who you are and where you come from. So tell us a little bit about your origin story. Take us back to the beginning and then, and then we'll take this journey together on how you arrived at where you are today. Love it. And, you know, I, I love uh, how you operate your, your podcast, Jeff, because you know, typically in a normal, you know, business relationship or probably really any relationship, you, you put that presentation face forward. And then after you understand, OK, you know, I, I can trust this individual. You might go a little deeper and, and get into, you know, what is it? this is the challenges that I'm facing and this is what you know took place. And this is maybe why I have the belief system set up the way I do with your podcast, man. We can just jump right into the fire, both feet, see what the fire forged. And then we'll get into the, uh, you know, that crazy impersonation fluff. That's right. Uh, a bit later. So we'll, we'll do it backwards. And people can tune out if they don't like you after the first 10 minutes, right? At that point, they can just tune out. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, I, I wish I hadn't known that. Now the pressure's on. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I literally, um, it, it, virtually um, almost every aspect to who I am, even, you know, today can really be uh, taken back all the way to the summer of 1974. So I'm the youngest of eight kids. We grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, not not too far from uh, your neck of the woods. And uh, we had a family pick route. I think it was my second oldest sister that, that started that. And it was just passed on from sibling to sibling. So when I was seven years old, I started delivering newspapers. And in June of 74, we had taken a family vacation. We went up to Houston Woods State Park and we came back and it was early Saturday morning and I had papers to deliver. And in the summer, I would use my bicycle. So I went out 
to the, the garage and I open up the garage door. And as soon as I open up the garage door, I literally just, I, I panicked. I absolutely freaked out. And I was running like my, literally like my life depended on it, screaming at my mom that someone is hanging in our garage. I didn't even have the, the whereabouts to understand that it was my dad. He had died by suicide. You know, it's either, uh, you know, the night, the night before or that morning. And that moment, um, through myself, my mom, my siblings, all of us directly into surviving one. I mean, mm. it was just boom, you know, a, a ton of bricks. And, you know, in the 1970s, therapy was not looked at as a, uh, a fashionable type of thing. It was like, if you're, if you're doing therapy, there's, you're a little off suicide, really taboo. I mean, it's suicides come it's not as taboo now, but it's still not, it's still not mainstream, especially for as prevalent as it, as it, you know, is in our society right now. But back then it was looked on as, as you know, if, if you had somebody that, that has gone through that, it's like that you stay away from that family. So all of us um, just thrust into this, you know, rough environment, not a whole lot of uh, openness to outside help or anything else. It was just like, okay, you know, here's what you got to do. And so I basically went into survival mode. I, I probably spent about 25 to 26 years in, in that mode. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, there's still parts of me that are still there. It's not like I've, I've healed completely and probably never will. But hardcore survival for probably 25 to 26 years. And, you know, as you can imagine, I had sadness, anger, resentment, fear, abandonment issues, control issues, money issues. Uh, it was just a mess. A lot of that stuff manifested uh, down into my lower back. And so I started having, excuse me, back problems shortly thereafter. And those back problems, you know, persisted for about 18 years. And I'll, I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in just a minute, because it, it, that, that 18 year point is when I met an extraordinary teacher who I'm still learning from today. But so, take so let, it me, back. let me let me unpack yeah. a little bit of that for because I think that you probably just everybody just stop. They probably you can hear the brakes and their their tires squealing <laughs> when they hit the brake. Whoa! Like, you just kind of that one just punched me in the face. I wasn't expecting that one right That's out the it. gate, right? Yeah. Uh, so you eight si both. eight siblings. What was the age range? Yeah, seven or seven? Yeah, seven plus you. What was the age range? There's right at like 21 years between my oldest sister and 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 again she had. She was on her own family. I have a niece that's a year older than me. Okay. And I have a nephew that's the same age. So my sister and my mom, my sister was pregnant with her second while my mom was pregnant with me. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Where did you Six fall girls, again? Six girls, two boys. I was, I was the youngest. You were the youngest. And so how old were you that day? I was nine. You were nine years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Man, and, and then you were the one who found the situation that way. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Wow. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, this is the first time in all the years of doing this episode of the driving change podcast where I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what question to ask next. So rather than ask a dumb question, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to let you continue the story. Okay. So you got some lower back problems. Uh, and then that starts yeah. to manifest itself for the next 18 years. Carry on. <laughs> yep. Um, I went into survival mode and everybody's going to handle it a little bit differently. So fortunate for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm so fortunate in every arena of my life and always have been. How I handled it, uh, it all looked good to society. Whereas someone else might've gone through that same experience and they literally just shut down. They, they, they might have problems 
speaking, shaking hands, making eye contact. And so interestingly, we could be really the same individual, but one looks good. One's got the, the presentation, but the, the backside's a nightmare. The other one, no presentation, and the backside's a nightmare. I was fortunate because my opportunities in life were going to be a millionfold relative to if I couldn't, you know, if I didn't have the ability to speak to anyone. So very fortunate for me. So what I turned into is I turned into this, you know, animal with his back up against the wall. I decided I was going to be very, very determined to live life my way. Is uh, it as, as, <laughs> as crazily unbalanced as it may be? I decided I was going to uh, be very, very determined, very hardworking, very busy because I didn't want to spend one minute of quiet time in this head because it wasn't a comfortable place to be. And I also decided I was going to make a ton of money because I knew there were money issues surrounding the death of my dad. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to make a ton of money and then I'm going to control myself. I'm going to control you everyone around me and every circumstance around my life so that I don't have to go through that type of pain again. So, and again, life doesn't, it doesn't work that way, but because it doesn't work that way, doesn't mean that we don't set ourselves out on a course trying to make something happen that there's no way you're going to make it happen. So, you know, I, I joke because, you know, I, I, I lived that way for, for so long to power throughing, uh, Uh, powering through everything that, you know, if you looked at the dictionary for, you know, Hey, well, we didn't have Siri back then, but if you know, Siri, show me somebody screwed up. It'd be my picture there physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, just a mess, just a wreck. And, uh, but again, it looked good to society. So, you know, it's like, ah, that James Haggard, he's a go-getter. He's a hard worker. He's determined. He's going to be real successful. All this stuff. But if you had done some self-work, you could look at me and you'd say, man, you, the stuff that's driving that, not healthy. It, right. You know, it's, it's not in a good way. So, but it was interesting because, you know, now for what I do as a James Bond impersonator, you know, I say, hey, don't be an impersonator like me. I was an impersonator, didn't even realize that I was, but I was an impersonator impersonating someone with confidence, someone with self-esteem, someone with self-worth. And none of that was a part of my repertoire. It just looked like it was. And I was, you know, I was hardcore about it. So, you know, and and again, I'm so fortunate because, you know, after I met my teacher and I started working through some of these issues, you sift through and you get through some of that negativity and what's left is, you know, you got a pot of gold. There's some really uh, strong aspects to life, you know. Uh, that were instilled in me, you know, from an unhealthy standpoint. But now I'm enjoying the fruits of having that, just in a, in a in an obviously a much more balanced way. So, so tell so tell me about your teacher. Tell me about that. How that yeah. relationship began, and, and it sounds like it's still there today. It is. I'm, you know, I'm 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 still learning from him. You know, right now. And so what happened is. Um, you know, I, I started having back problems. I was very active in my youth. I was a tennis player through the collegiate level and my back wasn't really that big of a deal through my teens. So I would throw my back out playing tennis. I'd be in a lot of pain for a day, but a couple of days later, I'd be back on the court because your body bounces back so quickly when you're 16, 17, 18. What happened? I got out of college and the bouncing back wasn't really taking place. So now the pain was more severe. The time out was more severe. End of 1992, I was out of work for five weeks. 
And the only time I walked for the first two weeks of those five was right when I left my chiropractor's office. So I started going to physicians, uh, you know, right when the, the back problem started. And I saw, you know, I've seen well over 60, 70 physicians. I saw, you know, physicians in Hamilton, Ohio, specialists in Cincinnati. Then I moved to Lakeland, Florida for college. I was in Tampa, Bradenton, Sarasota, and Orlando in 1989. And I saw chiropractors, physical therapists, back specialists, sports medicine guys, MDs, you name it. I was slated for emergency surgery on more than one occasion. I just didn't go through it because I was scared to death. And what happened in uh, in 1992 is a friend of mine who's a physician moved to Orlando. And I was like, man, this is, this is it. Because my life was deteriorating. It, was, it really had become a funnel where I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And it just wasn't worth it because I might be out of work for long periods of time. And so he moved to town and he saw me and he said, you, you need uh, therapy. And so he put me into a rehab clinic for 10 weeks. I went, I went through 90 hours of rehab and, uh, you know, I got to the end of it and I was 27 years old at this time. And, uh, I still was, it would take me five to, it would take me 10 to 15 minutes every morning just to be able to stand up straight. And so uh, a 27 year old male with a big ego and waking up, like you're moving, like you're 120, not a comfortable place to be. So I was really in a dark spot mentally, physically, emotionally. And I went back to the rehab people. And I said, you guys got to show me more. Uh, he said, I'll do it. And they said, man, you're one of the best patients we've ever had. You're compliant. You never miss. You do everything that we tell you to do. They said, you have a maximum of three years before your disc slips. And then you'll be forced to go into surgery. They taught me how to shave, brush my teeth, and pick up a newspaper without bending my back. And they said, you know, good luck to you, man, but we can't do anything more. The summer before that, that was that was right at the end of January of 1993. And the summer before that, my teacher, Tom Curtin, had moved down from Chicago and opened up a martial arts healing center. And I had formed a relationship with him because I was bartending for the Outback Steakhouse at this time. And he would come over almost nightly and have dinner right before we closed. So we formed this relationship and he had been laid up for a full year with a back injury and was able to correct it through the movements that he was now teaching. And when I came back, when I got out of rehab, from a medical standpoint, there was nothing, there was nothing left for me. I had, I had tried every modality there was, gravity boots, inverse, electrical stimulation, massage therapy, acupuncture, acupressure, you name it. I had gone through it and multiple, multiple things. And including this, you know, 90 hours in rehab. So I had nothing left to lose. I went over and watched a demonstration, watched him move. It was obviously didn't have back problems. And I, you know, I was like, I've got nothing left. You know, there's, there's no point in not trying it. I had two cons, uh, two goals when I started there. One was to be able to stand up straight, getting out of bed. And the other was to play golf three times per year, fully expecting not to be able to walk for a week after I played. And in three weeks I stood up uh, straight. I knew, I knew that the martial arts center for health was different literally in a nanosecond because I had, I had experienced 90 hours of rehab and not one of those movements that out of all these movements that they did got right to, you know, it was around my L4, L5, which were herniated. And I learned one movement when, uh, I, I started learning from time. That's all I did for a week and a half. And I, I moved a couple of inches and it was like, Oh, Wow that gets in. And so I knew it was different. And, uh, so fast forward, it took me about 22 months, but, uh, corrected that problem. The last time I had any type of back pain at all was Christmas of 1994. And you're talking about 
not only had I, was it a, a 10 to 15 minute process every morning to be able to stand up straight, I had gotten to the point at 27 that I wouldn't lift anything heavier than five pounds. So again, talk about the ego slap. I was bartending at the Outback Steakhouse. A lot of times I'd have a, a back brace on. And on Friday and Saturday evenings, there would be three of us working the bar. It'd be me. And I work with two very tiny women. One of the girls was about five, two. And a keg would come back. And it was, it was just, I mean, when I tell you it was a killer, I felt like I needed to go to every single patron and explain, I'm not a wimp. I can't <laughs> lift this keg because these two girls would be struggling with this keg. And they're like, why, why is this? What is this guy? Man, right, what a jerk. Right. Right. You know, so uh, and then, you know, when I'm in, when I'm in class and I'm going through movement, I wasn't able to do anything that the, the class was doing. There was a woman that was three years shy of triple my age that was running circles around me every day. And it was so so I got in there and it was like, oh, my God, my ego's killing. But I was so excited because, wow, I'm starting to feel good. And so I could see, you know, my, my life instead of taking this trajectory is now taking this trajectory. So, you know. And, and so I ended up, you know, crazy, but, you know, I ended up becoming an instructor. And now, you know, I just celebrated my, uh, my 28 year anniversary there a couple of weeks ago. And it's, you know, to say life changing doesn't even, I mean, it doesn't even scratch the surface. So let's, let's unpack a little bit of that. Cause I think it's so helpful for people. Cause I know right now there's someone out there who's listening to this, who, who feels like they just have hit a wall after a wall after a wall right. and it could be discouraging and it could feel defeated. They could feel defeated. And in here you, you were having a really difficult childhood, then trying to find yourself for the next 20 years after what happened with your father, uh, having back issue upon back issue, dealing with all of that mental junk, a lot of junk in your brain trunk, right? And you had never unpacked. You have these back <laughs> issues. You go down to Florida. You still got issues. There's not a lot of hope. Things are spiraling out of control. Then in the one day walks this guy who walks into the bar in the Outback Steakhouse. He, I'm sure he ordered a martini from you. Um, shaking, not stirred. Not drinking. Then, then you knew. <laughs> <laughs> no, just joking. But here, the point I want to make to people is, is that there, there's a purpose to everything and every in every relationship and every every positive interaction and negative interaction you have, there's a reason for those and to look for that. And here out of nowhere comes this guy who gives you a, a hope. He, the sage kind of walks into your life at the perfect time Correct. because sometimes we, we, we need a setback in order to have a comeback. And it could have been that maybe that maybe your pride was being dealt with a little bit during that, that stage of, of your life. Oh, more you than a little. <laughs> right. Uh, we all need it. Right. We all, we all need it. So, so Tom comes in and he tells you that there's this plan and you're probably like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've been seeing the best uh -huh. specialist in the world. I've done a million hours of rehab. I've done everything. Okay. Miyagi. All right. This is, you're going to have me go paint the fence, wax on, wax off. This ain't going to help my back. So you show up, you're getting you're getting waxed on by the lady who's, you know, three times your age, right? <laughs> She's running circles around you, painting the fence. Uh, and then funny. it starts to work and you start to have a little bit of hope. Can you remember, take us back to the, the, that moment when you first thought, you know what? There's something here. This has a chance. How did you feel? Well, yeah. I mean, literally, I, I will tell you, I mean, the very first one, first of all, I had hope because um, he was hitting me with stuff verbally that only somebody, because if you haven't had lower back issues, it's very easy to kind of be like, man, dude, suck it up. You know, I mean, right. get out of bed. And, uh, you know, where I, so when I was, when my back would go out, 
like when I was out, out of work for five weeks, those two weeks, I was crawling on, on my hands and knees through my house to go to the bathroom. So when I tell you that puts some, a little bit of humble pie into you, you're like, oh man. So, but I had all these things to compare it to because I had literally spent 18 years going through all these different modalities in the medical community. And when I started there, the very first, you know, I would put my hands above my head and start to come forward and it went right to the area. So instantaneously, I'm like, wow, I, I, I haven't felt that. So I knew it was different. And literally, I mean, I was feeling better in a couple of days and to go from, you know, I had been waking up like that and, and you know, looking like a 120 year old man trying to stand up for a long time. And for, in three weeks I got up and I just, I dropped my legs out of bed and I stood up. So it was a very, wow. um, it was, it was not this long, Oh my God, I'm not seeing any results. And so for me, you know, you talk about fired up and again, I, I I might've been the most unbalanced cat on the planet uh, from, you know, my background and, and how I live. And I was just going to force everything. And so it was a constant challenge for Tom because I'm like, Oh my God, I'm feeling so good. More is going to be better. Right. I couldn't have a concept of, you know, a little bit is all you can handle. So my whole thing was three steps forward, two steps back because I tried to do it, overdo it, you know, constantly. And I, I can remember telling him, you know, here he is doing this amazing service for me. And, and, you know, with my ego, no, no, I'm, I'm feeling good. I feel really good. I can do more. He'd be like, no, you're, you're trying to do too much. And then like two minutes later, I do a movement. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> yes, and I'd be so. back on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I'd be back on the floor crying. So, um, it was a, you know, Patience has never been a, a strong point of mine, and it's still not. But uh, relative to where I was long ago, it, it, it was a process. But it, it, my lessons a lot of times need to be really strong, or I may not, you know, I may not see the value. It doesn't stick. And, uh, <laughs> and there were strong lessons. Yeah. So, all right. So you go from having imposter syndrome to being, uh, to have an imposter stardom. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's pivot now, right? Because uh, one of my favorite uh Concepts that a lot of a lot of leaders have imposter syndrome, and I think that many of us might struggle with that in our own lives. But so you you go through this journey, and now you're you're feeling better. You actually are now a third degree black belt instructor. I don't know that you said that before. I know you said you're an instructor, but this guy, you know, he's real James Bond stuff, right? He can actually go uh, take on Doctor No. But you go and <laughs> when was that kind of like, hey, wait a minute, you got to make some, you got to make a living. Remember that part where you want to buy a sailboat and, and live on it? Uh, you got to make that happen. Um, when, when did you start to look at being an impersonator, what was that journey like there? What, what, where did, did somebody just walk in one day and go, hey, do you know you look like Daniel Craig? Can I, can I have you come and, and, and host a party? You get my kid's bar mitzvah? <laughs> what that, yeah, well, what you, you know like? what? It, it, people, people think it's like, you know, this, this one, you know, moment. And it, it, it's not a moment. And, and again, you know, I resisted it for uh, six years before I ever, you know, it, it, it was like, because here, here's the thing, what you don't realize before you become an impersonator, unless you're really into the photography world and modeling and all that stuff, you know, is I had, and I had never done any of that. So for me, I look at my face when I'm shaving and that's about it. Right. So I'm only seeing a very small percentage of my face. And if you could just only look at my face straight on, 
you wouldn't see the resemblance of Daniel Craig. So where you really get it is the left side. And then the left rear of my head is literally exact. There's a scene in Skyfall when he's going to the casino in Macau and they, they do a, a camera angle from the back left side. And Wait, I mean, that's, your I head? Amnesia, that's your head. It's, it is. It literally <laughs> Jeff is my head. I mean, it, it, it freaks me out. I just watched it about four or five nights ago and I see that scene and it really is like freaky. So, and when I'm at an event, people are getting that whole thing. Yeah. So, or, or when people were just seeing me on the street, they're getting that whole thing. So it, it would happen when 2006, when he was, you know, that was his first movie with Casino Royale. That's when it started. And then 2008, Quantum of Solace came out and it got even stronger. And the whole time I'm like, I don't look like him. I don't look like him. And what happened in 2011 is I had three people in the span of 90 minutes all come up to me and say, Hey man, anybody tell you look like James Bond? Anybody tell you look like Daniel Craig? And I just said, that's it. It was actually kind of a frustrating thing. And I'm like, I don't, whether I think I do or I don't isn't even the issue anymore. Obviously I do because this has just been an incessant thing. And I said, there's gotta be, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I said, there's gotta be some type of an opportunity here. Didn't even know that this business existed. And so I immediately called my college roommate. who's a very successful actor. He's been in a ton of movies, Iron Man, the Patriot. I mean, big, big movies. And he didn't know much about the uh, lookalike business, but uh, he said, get some pictures done. He goes, you live in Orlando, Disney and Universal are always looking, always looking for a healthy dad type of look. So I got some pictures done. I, I sent them out to an agency that specializes in lookalike work. They booked me for this gig. I had no idea what I was doing. I ended up meeting some impersonators there. And one of the impersonators had been to Japan for a job. And I'm like, wait a second. Somebody flew you to Japan. They paid all your expenses. And they paid you to go to a party. So, you know, and then you could act like share. And I'm like, I, I can do that business because I love to travel. Right. And uh, so I put my website up and uh, and it just took off because I'm a business guy and I understand, you know, it's not about me. It's it's about making my client look very, very, you know, good. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, this, this business just came and it, it's, it's just been, I mean, it, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, amazing. I've, I've worked six countries. I'm, I'm either at 34 or 35 States in the U S and, uh, and, and, and the best thing about it is, is the travel and then the interesting people. I mean, you're a, you're a product of this, Jeff. I mean, you and I meeting is because of, you know, me having James Bond events and then going through that. So it's just been, man, you, again, you talk about good fortune. I mean, I've got, I've got good fortune for a thousand lifetimes. Yeah. The greatest irony of this whole thing was you and I actually met because I was speaking at a women's event, ironically, and they brought you James Bond <laughs> into that event. And that is just the two of uh, that's crazy, right? Um, it is crazy. But I, I think um, what, what I, what I appreciate is obviously you see an opportunity. What I also appreciate is, is you looking at that saying, hey, this isn't about me. This is about I can do something to, to have fun and make other people's lives better, more enjoyable, whatever that looks like, and, and being able to do that. Now, here's, the, here's some, I need some advice. I need some coaching. You know, Because so, back when I was a little bit younger, a lot of people mistook me 
for Zapka off the Karate Kid, Johnny Lawrence. I looked just like him when I was in college. <laughs> so now, wait, so now Cobra Kai, this big, you know, you're you're a black belt. That's right. Cobra Kai's made this That's big right. resurgence in Billy in Billy Zapka now. Johnny Lawrence, I need to know, is there, is there a place for me out there to be a Johnny Lawrence lookalike? I'd take my glasses off, shag my hair up a little bit. Uh, what do you think? Can, can you Not get me booked? Not even a question, man. I would be, di- I would be <laughs> diving into that. With both feet. Then maybe we could do this thing where, where, where Johnny Lawrence has to take on James <laughs> Bond. <laughs> we'll call Daniel LaRusso. We'll call, uh, what's his face? Machio uh, and see if he wants to kind of come in on this with us. No, let's get, well, well tell us as, as we, as we turn the corner now. So you've been an impersonator for several years now, a big part of, uh, of your life. You always had this dream to live on a sailboat full time. It's one of those things you set when you were younger. And you mentioned earlier, really, you're really close to having that 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 Daniel Craig slash James Taggart very own zip code, which is in the boat. Uh, what's that been like? And where are you with that journey? Well, I'll tell you I, again. I, I got to just say how fortunate I am. You know that the, from my earliest memories, I'm, I'm talking about three or four years old. Um, my favorite books reading were Magellan, Vasco da Gama, Balboa, the Explorers. And I had my earliest, you know, memories that I have is I'm going to live on a sailboat one day. And I almost did it right when I uh, graduated from college. I was going to move to San Francisco, but it never worked out. And so I've never done it. And my life, um, one of the things that was instilled in me, and again, it's not because I'm such a sharp guy or, you know, whatever. It really, I because I was in survival mode. I think something clicked in my brain with the event of my father. And it was just like, I'm going to do my thing. And I started that at a young age. And, uh, and, and even my biggest supporter, you know, was my mom and my mom and I thought very much alike, I never wanted to displease her, but, uh, you know, she wrote, she wrote a letter to me in high school and it ripped me up, man. I mean, it ripped, it tore my heart out. She was very disappointed in me because I was not applying myself with my grades. I was probably a, a, I think I was a three, two or a three, four student. And and my next two sisters up are both summa cum laude. And, you know, I I was not that or even close. And it ripped me up when my mom wrote that letter, but I didn't change a thing. And I just had this thing in me, like, I'm going to do this my way. And then it was the same thing. When I graduated from college, I worked in the business world for a couple of years and I decided, you know, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. And uh, so I, I remember telling my mom, um, I'm going to travel. I'm gonna. I'm getting my bartending job that I did in college again. I'm gonna work uh, my business job. I'm gonna work at night bartending, and then in a few months I'm leaving. I'm traveling the world. I'm gonna be gone around six months. And my mom was just heartbroken. Oh my God, you spent all this money on college. They're gonna think that you're irresponsible and this and that and I'm like, whatever. So I always had it in me. And so this sailboat thing I've had in me all along. And as I have a very, um, I have a very easy life to be selfish. I'm a single dad. My son's 17 years old and he spends one week with me and then one week with his mom. And so the week that I don't have him, I'm a single guy and, and I have a lot of, you know, opportunities to do whatever. So this urge to live on a sailboat was getting stronger and stronger over the years. And I said, I, I got to see if I even like this because I, you know, I may not even dig it. So I did a week-long uh, class on a liveaboard and loved it. Came back out of my mind thinking, I got to buy a boat right now. And it wasn't the time. And uh, But I ended up, you know, a couple of years ago, 
uh, getting into the sail time type of thing where it's like, uh, it's almost like timeshare for uh, using sailboats. And so I spent 10 months on a monohull and loved it. And the opportunity came along with this catamaran. And um, I mean, it, it, it just all worked out perfectly. So I bought the catamaran about a year and a half ago. Uh, it's named H2007. I'm using it for business purposes. Right now, I'm about 54% of the way to my captain's license. And uh, so I'm very excited. I'm going I'm to do a couple of things that, that I've wanted to do. One, lifelong, which is live on my sailboat. I'm 20 months, five days away from this boat being my permanent home. And then before that, for the last 12 years, I've wanted to, to be uh, a vagabond. So I, I joke and I say, I'm going to put the bond in vagabond. <laughs> so I'm doing away with my lease in, in 10 months. And I'm going to live, uh, I'm, I'm giving you a new word, new vocabulary, addressless. So uh, I'm literally going to be meandering between, I'll probably spend 16 to 18 nights on my boat. I've got uh, a timeshare that I bought back in 2004 that gives me access to numerous resorts through Central Florida. And then I've got a ton of uh, hotel nights from all the travel that I've done as James Bond. And uh, so for 10 months, I'm just going to be, I'll literally wake up and I don't know where I'm going to be sleeping that night. And then I'll just figure it out. And I love that perspective because it goes along, you know, into the travel to kind of mix up your world to give you a different perspective. So a lot of just really exciting stuff that I'm very fortunate to be able to be experiencing. Well, so let me, that's uh, some people out there right now are going, Oh, I'm so jealous. Other people are just literally terrified the thought of doing that. Right. So you probably are one <laughs> end of that spectrum or the other. Uh, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I'd like to do that for a couple of months, but then I'll probably be like, okay, I need a, I need a little, I need a little more home base now. So let me, let, let's end with this. So you're, you said before, I know your son, Liam 17, what do you want Liam to know about you? that'll serve him well long after you're gone? Like, what do you want him to take away from you? Yeah. Personal empowerment, personal empowerment. You know, I, I, I've tried to instill, you know, his whole life, uh, regardless of what the educational system, society, me, your friends, your boss, your corporation that you're working for, whatever, do your life the way you want to do it. I don't, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of joy and happiness for the most part. I've been fortunate to work three careers where I've been able to be on the inside of where people are really are. And they open up to you. Bartending I did for over a decade. I've worked for as a loan officer in the mortgage and then at the Martial Arts Center for Health for just under three decades. And in all those, I was able to see, you know, ironically for what I do for a living, as a James Bond person, I was able to see the impersonation and the backside did not match up typically with the impersonator front side. And so I've talked to, you know, to my son a lot about really, man, wherever you want to be, find out internally where you want to be. And it may not even be, you might be really good at something, but if that's not where your heart is, the fact that you're really good at it, you may, you may need to use that as a vehicle so that you can earn income and, and, and make your other thing happen while you're slowly building, right? You, you, could, you could be good as an IT guy and make a fortune, but not really enjoy it. And right. your, your true passion is, man, I, I want to open up a, a pet hotel, which you're, you're going to make a fraction of what that IT guy. Well, there's nothing wrong with you doing both. I, got, right. I have three active careers right now, and then I'm, I'm in the middle of working on my fourth. 
and it, and I love it. And I make decisions based on not what, you know, not what my company wants me to do. My company wants me to be a top performer. I'm not going to be a top performer because that doesn't allow me to have the balance of the other stuff that I have going on in life. So it's the same thing that, you know, I talk to people when I, when I do a talk is figure out where you want to be. And then you decide for you, if you're even in the right spot, the right company, the right position, or, you know, I mean, in, in business with most business people, it's all about how to get to the, to the top. When the reality is the top may not be where you even want to be. Well, it's it's usually you end up on the wrong mountain, right? <laughs> you, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the personal empowerment is, is what I want. Yeah, and I think uh, that'll be great. I think he'll be able to see that through your life story, right? And I think for all of us, I think you take away that what's that authentic self, and and what I maybe the title of this podcast will be from you know from from imposter syndrome to authentic vagabond, right? It's it, it's that. <laughs> It's, it's, it's the James Taggart journey to uh, authenticity, right. right? The James Taggart journey to authenticity. I think we're all on it. And the question really isn't, are you on it? The question is, is are you aware that you're on it or are you still playing imposter right. in your life? That's it. And, and, and a lot of times, sometimes the more wounds, the more hurt, and the more trauma that we've experienced, the thicker the veil of the, of the syndrome uh, of the imposter syndrome it is. Whereas at some point in your life, you're going to peel it back enough, right? You hope to peel it back enough to start to live life from a place of true authenticity. And I hope that's what people took away from today's episode. I hope that's what they take away from your life. I know as I get to know you better and better, I see that in you. And, and there's a, you know, we joke a lot about the, you know, the impersonation thing, but uh, it's, you're truly an authentic cat, man. And I like being around you. And I know that people took a lot from your story today. Uh, where can they get to know more about you? Where, where should they go? Uh, yeah, my website, and you can go to my email from there, but my website is just 007now, N-O-W.com, 007now.com. And my email is just simple, james at 007now.com. So, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out and, uh, I've got all kinds of other stuff that I'm, you know, I'm just getting going with the uh, the sailboat. I'm using the, the sailboat for all types of business purposes. Um, so I, you know, I've, I've got a YouTube channel that I just started there with 007 sailing, but uh, yeah. And uh, exactly what you just said about me, it, it's, you know, that feeling is so mutual, Jeff. And, and again, I mean, this is, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and the energy to, uh, you know, have me on and uh, fantastic. That's great. Well, so so everybody listening, 007now.com, take a look at James's site. Also, if you're listening on one of the other platforms, you're not listening through the website, you can go to the landing page. All the links are there to all of his social media. You can follow Crazy James Taggart on what his next adventure is going to be. <laughs> and I, I just can only speculate once the sailboat uh, sets port and he gets his captain's <laughs> license, the YouTube channel is probably going to be off the chain. So uh, loved having you on brother. Thank you. Appreciate you. And I look forward to seeing where uh, the next adventure ends up taking you. Thanks again for being a guest. Thanks so much, Jeff. Much appreciated. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. 
Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.